my guest this week is someone who, once again, I found on Instagram. I actually found her through my friend Trina. So this is another movement person. And I have so enjoyed getting to know more about her and her movement philosophies, her knowledge that she's got, and her, as you listen, you will hear her desire that people should enjoy the movement that they do in their lives. That instead of looking at it as a space of something they have to do, that they find something that they enjoy doing and look forward to doing it. It's just a great conversation. You can find her online. She's got classes that you can sign up for coming up with having classes on her website. So if you're interested in all of that, I'll have in the show notes where you can find her on social media. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everybody, and thank you for joining me today for another episode of Titanium Blonde Talks, the podcast for women, about women, sharing women's stories, and celebrating and uplifting each other as we share our journeys in our lives. Today, joining me is someone that I found on Instagram again. Uh, <laughs> Laurel is a, this is her, her self-described description, an actor turned language teacher turned yoga teacher and now morphing into turning into a kettlebell teacher. <laughs> so she's got a lot of bases covered. I think this is going to be a fantastic conversation. And thank you, Laurel, for joining me thank today. Thank you, Sherry, for inviting me. And thanks for that great <laughs> intro. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So tell me, how long has it been since you've been an actor? Oh, jeepers. Let's think. I stopped acting, I think in my middle 20s, my mid 20s. So 26, okay. I think 26, 27, right in there. Yeah. Okay. And so, oh, and then, and so now you have to know how old I am. <laughs> so I'm turning well, 40, you know I'm turning 40 this year. No, I'm proud. I'm proud of how old I am. Okay. Good I'm for turning you. 40 this good year. And so that is uh, 13 years. 14 years ago, yeah. I was busting my butt, moving all over the city, getting to auditions, auditioning for commercials and for uh, children's theater and for theater and Shakespeare. And I worked a lot in uh, movement-based theater. I did a lot of children's theater. I did a lot of Shakespeare yeah. and puppetry, okay. actually, which is which is fun. So now, did you go to this? Was was this your major in school? Yes. You went. To I went to Ithaca College, and I got a BFA in acting. Yeah. And was it is it was based more on the, I'm assuming more of a theater based background than like say a film? Yes. Or... So I actually graduated a semester early and audited a, a acting for for film, I think it was called course, just because I thought like, uh -huh. I should know something about being on camera. But I have to say, like, I didn't really learn all that much, because there wasn't a whole lot of okay. given it was just, I don't know, it, it was interesting. But I think I was just goofing off with my friends who were seniors at the time. And we were just sort of like, getting all that talking a lot. So um, yeah, and, and so I um, didn't feel like I knew 
anything about being on camera. And I, I mentioned this because I've since started filming myself a lot for... Well, I was going to say, I mean, you film a lot for your yoga stuff online yeah. and, and you do classes. I see that you've got a class on um, Yoga Journal yeah. and I, I love to listen to you your conversations that you have about what's going on with the body and all of that. I mean, you're very self-possessed on camera, so I'm not surprised that you would say that you were an actor. I mean, you know how to speak, you know how to talk to, you know, an audience that maybe isn't there in the same room. But um, that's interesting. Before we began, and we were kind of like doing our little side talk before we officially started, we were talking about the learning curve that we we've all been undergoing with regards to getting online. And it was more about the tech uh, learning curve and, and how that can be sort of difficult. And I think that more than anything, it's in these transitions in these spaces in our lives where we're forced to adapt or we feel forced to adapt. No one's really forced to adapt. You know, a lot of the times we feel forced to adapt. It's our relationship to difficulty that probably constitutes the majority of our work. It's not that we can't do it. It's not that we won't be able to do it. It's not that we're not good at it. It's just that we have to gain perspective on what our relationship is to things feeling difficult. So I say this because, yeah, the acting class in college was kind of, I kind of blew it off a little bit, but I learned in life becoming a yoga teacher who then had to move her business had been moving her business online before this, but now is now fully moving online, that it's only been the process of being online. It's only been the process of filming myself with the intent to publish and publishing material that I don't feel is perfect and then receiving feedback on that material and using that feedback to refine my message and to refine my approach that my relationship to difficult has become elevated to a point where it doesn't feel scary. It actually feels like a challenge worthy of my time and interesting, actually. So that's been that's been um, the through line to so much of my process has been in learning to get acquainted with this feeling of difficulty, which can be very different depending on what we're what we're trying to do. Right. Well, you know, it always makes me think of the adapt or die. <laughs> comment or phrase that I've heard in in the past. And it's like, you know, I mean, and as we were talking about before we started the recording, this is a time where people are having to adapt on a daily basis Mm -hmm. to life and the uncertainty of of the boundaries or things being the way they've always been. This this phrase, adapt or die, I want to talk a little bit about it because it comes from uh, Darwinian theory, which is that species must change in order to adapt to their environment in order to survive, in order to be able to get food, in order to not be eaten by certain animals, right? And the thing about Darwinian theory is that it doesn't actually apply to societies because societies function under a very different set of rules, which isn't survival of the fittest, which is a good thing, right? right? And so- I think what we're experiencing right now isn't adapt or die. I think what we're experiencing is the question of whether or not we want to adapt. And then we're faced with the decision about 
what we're going to do if the answer is yes and what we're going to do <laughs> if the answer is no, okay? No. Because it, what's interesting about this time is that there is kind of a yes or no that's been presented yes. to so many. And it's yes, we open or no, we stay closed. It's yes, we teach online or no, we don't. And then there's a whole bunch of gray within the yes, Other right? There's the approach. Yeah, yeah right? Of how I'm going to do that. And what's my method? And, you know, what am I going to share? And how am I going to share it? And we're all having this conversation right now. But I think what I'm trying to say is that if you decide that you want to adapt, you don't get to decide how you feel about it. You get to decide your relationship. You either do it or you get to decide your relationship to that feeling. You Mm -hmm. will feel scared. It will feel challenging. You will feel like you don't want to do it, but you can kind of zoom out a little bit and have a meta experience of, I know that I'm feeling these things, but I still want to adapt. Not because I'm going to die if I don't, but because this is a challenge worthy of my time because my business fulfills me and I think that I can reach people and continue to help people through the screen. And this is probably going to end at some point. We're all going to be able to go out and be together in person. I mean, I'm hoping. Yes. Well, I mean, that's that's the place I'm operating from is yes. Well, you know, and it's just interesting when you think about the adapt or die. I mean, that is on the basis level of a species being able to support evolution, survive evolution or not. And as you said, as a society, that's not really how we operate. But sometimes, and this is the old political science major in me coming out, is that I think that on some levels, certain parties, that's what they want to do. They kind of want to, when they want to cut out what they call entitlements or support for those that have that are in a less desirable situation, Mm -hmm. that they don't want to continue to do that because it's not well, it doesn't support their personal agenda. Mm. But when you have a whole group of people who get together who are in power and they make that sort of decision-making process together, mm. that's kind of what, that's that's how I'm seeing this on, on a, as I look at it as a di- from a different perspective, mm. right? It's just look down the looking glass with Alice to look at that kind of go, hmm, you know, there's a little bit of that going on in the background that is kind of sneaky and they don't want to come out and admit to it, but that's exactly what's going on. And, you know, I take umbrage with the fact that when they say that my social security is an entitlement, mm. uh, asshole, myself and my employer have been paying into that my entire working life. That's not an entitlement. That's my savings account that you fucking squandered. Okay. <laughs> I yeah. So, so this idea that, that we are only in charge of ourselves and that everything bad that happens to us is because we didn't do enough or we didn't work hard enough or we weren't right. smart enough or we didn't think ahead enough or we're not responsible enough. This meritocratic individualistic lens through which we could think about about values is deeply problematic and it's being exposed for how problematic it is right now because nobody gets sick alone in a pandemic. Yep. And everybody's health is my health and my health is everybody else's. So yes, there's, there's a lot to be said about the false comparison of the way that species in the wild adapt to be able to procreate and survive as a species and the way that human societies function to be able to thrive as human societies, which is what we depend on to thrive as individuals. That's correct. And and you can't have, you know, for me, it's just like I, I, as a woman, 
as a woman who's almost 60 years old and living through all of the things that I did in the 60s, which not as much paying attention, but the <laughs> 70s, right? Because I, I was old enough then yeah. to know when Watergate happened and kind of understand what was going on and then for, for other things to continue to happen. And, you know, the thing that the, the things that come across to me is that, and, and like I told you before, I've worked in technology since I was in my twenties. I've been out there playing in the boys club all mm -hmm. along as a woman and um, having to put up with some of that shit. And at the end of the day, it comes to me, it's like, I'm still fighting about someone's trying to legislate my vagina. Yeah. And that's ridiculous yeah. to me. It's a waste of time, but it's the old guard. In, in my yoga teacher training, we had a guy that came in and taught us about the yoga sutras. And afterwards we were having a conversation and he talked about masculine and feminine. And as a pendulum, mm -hmm. one end is masculine, the other end is feminine. And he said, we've been swung way over in the masculine realm for centuries. Mm -hmm. And he said, and it's slowly starting to swing back. And he said, you know, it's not good to be too far in either direction, but he said, it's slowly starting to swing back. But what's going to happen is those dinosaurs that are used to being in charge. And he says, that's going to be old white men like mm -hmm. me are not going to give up their power. Mm -hmm. They're going to fight it tooth and nail yeah. because they don't want to give it yeah. up. And so, but he said, he says, it's going to be, it's going to be a priority for the species to not survive, but to thrive for us to move more into a balance between masculine and feminine. Yeah. The, the masculine feminine dichotomy is a paradigm that is all over certain philosophies of yoga. I don't know that if you can hear, but it's seven o'clock right now in New York City. And at seven o'clock, everybody leans out their window. <laughs> and yells for the idea. There's yes. a lot of cowbell. <laughs> There's a lot of cowbell. <laughs> I, I, I've watched people bang pots yeah. and pans and do all of that for the uh, for the healthcare you, workers. I think that's fantastic. Are you fantastic. any of that up right now? Okay. Oh yeah, I can hear it. Okay, great. Yeah. So, and I heard the sirens and everything. You know, I knew I knew you were in New York yeah. City, so I knew there was going to be background um, noise with yeah. all of that. But yes, I didn't yeah. think of the I didn't think of the start time and the end time of this. <laughs> Put it together. You know what? It doesn't yeah. matter. You know, this is all a part of real life. It's like I told people, I'm like, if your pets show up and, you know, slobber all over you or your kids wander in the room or whatever it is, this is yeah. real life. This is, a, this is a part of your story. Yeah. This is about who you are. You know, those are the kinds of things I think that make it real. Yeah. So you moved then to a language teacher, language teacher in like foreign languages. Yeah, well, or... foreign languages to my students. I was teaching English to okay. Uh, okay. speakers of foreign languages to us, but English is a foreign language to them. So it's uh, an EFL teacher um, or okay. teacher of uh, English as a foreign language. So TOEFL. Um, and I right. did that. I became a teacher of English as a foreign language to support my acting career so that I didn't have to wait. Okay. <laughs> I was going to ask about because, that is if you were a waiter or anything yeah. like that while you were doing all oh, of yeah. this. Yeah. I was a lot of, th I mean, I did a lot of temp. <laughs> I did, I did any odd job I could do sometimes. Uh, right. I, I did a job in San Francisco once where I stayed with my friend who was kind enough to let me sleep on his couch and then rollerbladed to the Cal train and took the Cal train somewhere in Palo Alto to work at a Chinese tea cafe <laughs> Just because they would hire me because they just didn't need to know a whole lot. So it was like, sure. 
I can I can make Chinese tea. Um, oh, and then I, I came that. in with a That's skinny it. one day, and they knew it was rollerblading there, and they were like, "I don't know how you're getting here." <laughs> and uh, you know, and I had to give them like the truth because I tell the truth, and I was like, "Yeah, I rollerblade right. to work," and they're like, "Where are you?" And I was like, "I can't remember where I was staying, but I was like, um, I'm a ways away, you know." <laughs> Menlo Park or something. I don't remember. And you're like, do you live here? <laughs> and like, no, I don't. I'm and you're here like, temporarily. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm here temporarily doing a show. And they didn't ask me that when they hired me. Um, oh. But uh, but no, I've done everything. I mean, everything that I've needed to do to make a living to be able to pay rent to be an actor. And then I decided like, I really didn't want to live that type of existence where I was constantly, every time I'd go do a show, I would have to come back and find a new apartment and find a new job kind of existence. So the, the idea at the time I was dating my husband at the idea, uh, the idea of becoming a teacher was intriguing to me because I come from a very long line of teachers my grandmas were teachers. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I was like, I, I probably could, I could probably teach, you know? And so I right. took this job and I loved it. <laughs> I, could probably teach. I loved it. And I was teaching English and I love languages and I speak Spanish. I had, I had been, you know, um, fluent in Spanish before I took this job and I'm still, still fluent. It comes and goes if I don't use it all, for a long time, but I loved learning languages. I loved speaking a foreign language. So teaching English as a foreign language was a really interesting reversal for me in terms of like having to understand yeah. the language to be able to teach it. And I loved teaching so much that I actually stopped auditioning. It just kind of happened organically, you know, where your body decides. I was just like, I don't want to anymore. And I then kind of started up my own entrepreneurial uh pursuit of seeing students privately in cafes and giving them private English lessons. And Mm -hmm. then from there, I kind of got the entrepreneurial bug where I was like, I can make a lot more per hour if I just work my work for myself. And that stayed with me when I went into teaching yoga and got really uh, very much in with yoga works. They trained me and then immediately hired me and then almost immediately promoted me to teacher trainer. And I was an employee with them for very, very many years. I was you know, still working privately. I mean, yoga teachers at baseline are entrepreneurs. I mean, they yeah, don't they think are. of themselves as that, but they are if they're doing private sessions, you know, in people's yep. homes. So that's an entrepreneur. Right. The experience I had teaching privately with my language students had sort of prepared me to know the a little bit about like the fact that I needed a website and that I needed to know how to negotiate prices and like speak confidently and tell people what I need to right. make per hour and not waffle and and and, and believe that you are, are worth yeah. it right and yeah that well because it. I I mean I have I mean I think I I probably attribute my self-confidence to a large extent to my parents and you know the ways in which they've helped me to have that and have supported me in all of my decisions um but also it's the experience of asking people for money for your services and then sticking to that and then holding them accountable to boundaries as well and providing an excellent service and being committed to consistently providing an excellent service that helped me as a yoga teacher um you know from my experience doing as language teacher to a yoga teacher and now it's only you know this ability to create your own experience by creating your own business to create the job you want through creating your own um, 
business and defining it in the ways that that you want to define it and that you value um, has been a practice right alongside all of these other uh, practices and learning curves that I've been on as a teacher of movement, as a teacher of body science, someone who's, you know, been very much kind of on parallel, intersecting, completely complementary tracks, you know, it's the, the business the yoga, the science, the movement, and all the ways in which those four paths constantly intersect when you call yourself a yoga teacher, right? Mm, Yeah. Well, and the other thing too, is that even though what some people might look as this as a disparate path from yoga to language or from actor to language to yoga teacher to kettlebell, is that the the basic skills that you were learning are transferable no matter where you went. So you've been you've been refining and chewing on things and going, well, this works and this doesn't yeah. work. And the thing for me that I've noticed that for most people, like when I spoke with Trina and a couple other instructors is, is that it's this constant, this thirst for learning mm-hmm. more and to be able to then, how do I embody that into what I'm doing? Because I don't want to get stagnant as a person, as an instructor, as a teacher to my students or what I'm doing in my own Mm. practice. And I personally, and I think you're probably the same way, don't teach anything I haven't practiced myself Mm -hmm. first to be able to show my students. So, you you know, those are the things that I think make it a fantastic yoga movement teacher. I'm just going to say movement because I'm having a hard time calling myself just a strictly yoga teacher anymore myself. But I look at things like that and I think about the fact that this thirst for knowledge, this ability to be able to, as we learn more and know more about the body and how we as a society live our lives today and how do we best take care of that Mm -hmm. vessel? Because I'd like to be able to keep moving until I, I'd like to be able to keep teaching in my Mm -hmm. 90s, right? I mean, I want to be moving. I mean, I've been active my entire life. I started ballet at four. I started playing softball at six. I mean, I've been moving and grooving my entire Mm -hmm. life. And for me, the thought of not being able to do that would drive me absolutely out of my mind. So what do I need to do to take care of myself so that I can stay supple and stable and balanced and moving? How do I need to, you know, figure out how to do that? And that's something that as the population population ages, my age group and older, those are my biggest pockets of mm-hmm. students because they are the people that are showing up because they, they have the same desire. Right. And they're all in different levels of where they are in terms of that journey on that road. But um, I just see that as a growth industry. Like, you know, I'm, I'm right in the middle of the thick of things here. (laughs) And how do I, how do I deliver the best, not, not, and I don't want to call it content, but the best tools to be able to do that. Right. And yoga is thousands of years old and it was made, developed for 13 year old Indian boys living in India. And this is not that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so we'd have to talk about, you know, we'd have to talk about yoga. Um, well, that's a whole other, well, you know, we'd have to, we'd have to talk about the, the, the context in which, you know, the yoga that we want to define is practiced, right. which involves the time and the population practicing it and the country in which it was practiced right. and even the region of the country in which it was practiced and, and including, you know, the United States and Europe. And, and so, so I want to hold off on that for a second and, and go back to this, um, this idea that, 
you know, people want to continue to stay capable in their bodies to be able to do the physical things with their bodies to be in the physical world in the ways that are meaningful to them. And I and it keeps them independent. And it keeps them independent. And so we can think about like, what is meaningful? Well, I mean, going to the bathroom, being able to wash dishes, being able to walk up the stairs, being able to get in and out of a car. These are meaningful. Of course, we don't necessarily think of those as fun. I don't, maybe you do. In, In some cases, maybe it is. But in, in cases of, you know, what is meaningful, a lot of times, it's just the menial things that we need to be able to do independently. But then there's the meaningful things like getting down onto the floor playing with grandkids. There's the meaningful things of being able to go on a two mile hike through this beautiful landscape that you happen to be near with your partner. There's things like feeling okay about walking thigh deep in the ocean or things that might for for anybody really feel challenging on a physical level and that are a little bit more kind of elevated in the sort of specialness of it in the sense that, you know, this might be something that I want to be able to do when the opportunity arises. And then there's meaningful in the sense that like, this is something that I just know that I enjoy. It's not a surprise. I just know that I enjoy it. I know that I love doing yoga this type of yoga with this particular teacher. I know that I love doing kettlebells, this type of kettlebell workout with this particular teacher. I know that I love doing uh, aerobics class or Zumba or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, what it usually comes down to is the way of moving and the teacher. And a lot of times the teacher is also the reason behind the way of moving because the teacher decides the sequence, but also the teacher transmits a type of energy that makes the way of moving feel a certain way a lot of the times, right? So if the, if the atmosphere is very serious, which isn't a bad thing, if it's very, if the atmosphere is very serious and the atmosphere is very competitive, which some people like, that way of moving is going to feel a certain way. It's probably going to be a different way of moving. But if the atmosphere is lighthearted and playful, that way of moving is going to feel a certain way. And probably the way of moving is going to reflect that type of atmosphere. I think that things, movements that would usually be serious and competitive can also feel light and playful, which is what I, is the balance I like to strike with my kettlebell class, right? I bring a light. I love watching all your kettlebell stuff. (laughs) Playful quality, a light quality to the heavy lifting, because I think that a lot of times people have this association that whenever you pick up something heavy, it's very masculine. It's very competitive. It's potentially dangerous. This is the idea that many people have or just intimidating in some way. So how do we stay active? How do we continue to be able to do the things in our lives that are meaningful? And that includes from the mundane to the elevated in specialness to the, I just love to do this and I want to be able to do it forever. I think it's that we continue to do all of those things when the opportunities arise and we stay active for longer periods of the day, meaning physically moving for longer periods of the day that we avoid spending too much time still sitting immobile, but also, and this is maybe more important, is that when we do go to move, that we make it enjoyable whenever we possibly can. So if you don't like going, you know, and running on your treadmill for five minutes in the basement, (laughs) some people like it. I mean, I used to actually enjoy it because I would have like a little 
competition with myself and I would be able to know exactly how fast <laughs> I was going for exactly how much time. And it was like a game. I would play a game with myself. But the the key, I think, is are you enjoying movement? And if, if you're not enjoying right. movement, if it feels like self-punishment, which I think is what, unfortunately, how exercise has been framed unconsciously, maybe consciously yes. for a lot of people, which is that I did something bad, which is I indulged or I, I, or I sat for too long or I even, I think people sometimes feel guilty for the pain they're experiencing. Like I did something to myself, yeah. right? You hear that expression. I did something to myself. Yes. Like it's me. I'm the perpetrator and the victim. I did it to me, you know? And, and there's just this layer, I think, of shame that we're, we're working yep. with. And then we go to some type of movement practice that we tend to call exercise or cardio or fitness Unfortunately, not that any of those words are inherently bad. I think they're all inherently neutral, but we framed these unconsciously in, in many cases as a form of punishment. Then this leads to uh, not being able to maybe attune to know that the movement that you're engaging in, or maybe the way you're engaging in it, or the mindset you have while engaging in it, isn't something you actually enjoy. So you're going to be constantly chasing enjoyment. Well, that's the thing is, not if you're not it. happy doing it, then then don't do it. Find something else. That's my thing is like, you know, it took me a little bit of time when I first started teaching to be able to, to feel that it wasn't a personal affront when someone didn't come back to my class and to realize that there is a form of movement, whether it's yoga, whether it's spin, you know, whatever it is, there's a form of movement for everyone. And there's an instructor yeah. that will, that will meet them in the space where they they feel joy or happiness mm -hmm. or like you said, whether there's a competitive spirit or whatever it is that they'll find that they just have to keep yeah. going. And that instead of looking at it as punishment, I, I can't fit into my pants anymore or, you know, whatever it is. And so I have to do uh -huh. this. It's like, what do you like to do that you enjoy mm -hmm. doing besides the stuff? You know, I mean, I love to sit down and play with my beads and make jewelry. That's great, but that's a seated thing. And I know that if I do that for too long, repetitive motion kicks in and I start to hold, you know, harbor and make hab habitual patterns yeah. of pain. So on the flip side of that, because I'm a mover and a groover, what kind of movement do I want to do to, you know, make myself feel better? And then I can go back and do something else or whatever it is. I agree with you wholeheartedly that fitness or health or all of that has been, and, and even even nutrition has been given this whole, you got to do it this way or it's mm -hmm. wrong. You have to eat this way or it's mm -hmm. wrong. You you have to be, you know, working out this way or it's mm -hmm. wrong. And it's like, wait a minute, maybe their body doesn't fit in that little circle yeah. or square. And so you're telling them that they're wrong because they're not they don't enjoy doing whatever it is, or they don't eat the way you think that they mm -hmm. should eat. And I, there's, I'm, you know, as a Gemini, I can't stand anyone who tries to tell me what to do or <laughs> tells me I can't do something. It's like, oh yeah, watch me. Yeah. You just keep standing there and check me out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Good. But um, I think that, that one of the, one of the um, main, what's the, what's the word maybe forces at play with this vicious cycle of people potentially not enjoying exercise because they don't know that they should or can enjoy exercise. Right. 
And as, as kids, they had a bad experience for whatever reason. Or, and then you know. meanwhile, also feeling like they need to fit into a particular mold mm-hmm. and look a certain way, I think is a big one, especially for women. Yeah. Oh, yes. Especially for um, women. Yeah, man. That, you know, at the root of this is a combination of a feeling maybe of a lack of agency and also yep. um, maybe what's overriding this feeling of agency is kind of a, a film or a haze of, of fear or this like low level anxiety. I, oh, yeah. I am. Um, I'm going to look funny or I don't fit in or people are going to make comments about yeah. me or stare well, at me. You know, you know? And, and then the messaging from the messaging from so many different directions, including from the teacher, because we all live in the yep. same, you know, bubble. bubble. We all live in the same <laughs> uh, society that's influenced by capitalist forces that the message is that you are not enough and you need yep. to buy this thing or be beholden to this method or you need to adopt these particular practices or rules so that you can stay safe. But at the end of the day, it's really just about being accepted into the in-group, right? It's being, yep. it's about you got to be a part of the community. It's about the tribalistic kind of baseline survival method that most human beings default to without even realizing it. So this idea of things needing to feel enjoyable and fun is really important because what that then does is it contradicts fear. And when you're having fun and enjoying yourself, it's much less likely that you will be functioning in the same sort of space, psychological space, where someone will have that type of influence over you, you know? Right. And so I think that if we can get our messaging better in the yoga and the fitness industries about what this should actually be about, which is not how you look, because again, that's going to take people into this fear-soaked, agency-lacking cycle of, I just have to do these things that I hate because I hate the way I look, because I'm told to hate the way I look cycle, and instead start to talk to people on a more elevated level of why this is valuable, not because you're in danger, but because it's inherently enjoyable and fun. And it's a way to connect on a higher level. Now, not to say that in connecting on this higher level and having fun and enjoying ourselves, that there isn't risk. There certainly is, right? right? And we have to be mindful of that. We have to be aware of that and trained at how to mitigate risk as movement teachers. I'm just taking movement teachers as a general term here. But if in doing that, we simultaneously convey to our students that they should be fearful and afraid, we haven't gotten our message right. And we may have fallen into the trap of marketing rather than teaching or maybe brought more broadly marketing instead of providing a collective experience for people to feel connected to themselves and to each other. So, you know, it's not a everything's going to be okay or everything is terrible dichotomy. It's What are we actually trying to do here? Are we helping people have less pain or are we helping people discover what they love about movement so that they habituate those movement practices or those habits to then have less pain? And I think it's the second one, especially as because we're not therapists, right? No. Well, and, and the other thing for me is that how I frame my teaching these days 
and it's been for a while, is that when you step onto your mat, it's a new experience every Mm. time because you're never in the same space. Your balance is never the same. And this is your opportunity for you to expectation about what you think your practice should be, could be, or was before. Mm -hmm. And to be able to bring a sense of curiosity Mm -hmm. and have a conversation with your body while you're on Mm -hmm. your mat. Does this feel good? Maybe I should change this. Do I need to take a time out? I need to take a time out. It's their practice. I'm just there to guide mm-hmm. them, right? Here's some things that I think might be helpful to you. Here's why I think they might be mm-hmm. helpful. I'm inviting you to play around. Do you need to modify? Mm-hmm. Do you need to change something? Do you need to take a rest period mm-hmm. while everyone else is still moving? It doesn't matter to me. And so that's that, That's going back to that giving them agency mm-hmm. over their own practice, yeah. Yeah. right? And you don't have to look a certain way. Not everybody's going to look the same mm-hmm. way. You know, and I come from a space where I'm almost six foot tall. I'm a big person. I don't fit the mold of a little teeny tiny bendy little super hyper yogi girl. (laughs) That is not who I am. That is not who I will ever be. And when I teach, it's a lot of time. It's like, I was practicing this at home in my bedroom because that's all the room I had. And I tripped and I fell over and landed (laughs) on my bed, right? Yes. So, so the reality is, is that I'm not some perfect little movement yoga instructor sitting on my cushion, you know, saying "Om" and everything just magically happens. I fall over all the time. Yeah. So I, I, I'm struggling right now teaching from home because I got a a rug over the top of my carpet and it's screwing up my balance because I can't feel the floor with my feet. I love this. So, I love this. You know, you're 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 describing so many different layers of skillful teaching. One is the the words that you use that grant permission, like you know, I could take an approach where I tell you exactly where to put your knee and exactly where to put your pelvis and exactly where to put your arms. Or I could take an approach that ushers you in that maybe general direction while also giving you a ton of cueing to decide for yourself and make the best decision for yourself. And also that implies that there is no target or or like right position. So that's a technique, I think. Then on top of that, you've described stories that you tell about yourself and they're little tiny, not grand like, you know, stories, but rather like I... Uh, tried this yesterday and I slipped and fell or I'm having struggle, trouble balancing because let me describe to you the flooring of my living room. And these types <laughs> of stories that we share with our students, they can be one sentence and, and very seemingly innocuous to you know, a little bit bigger story when done skillfully and in the right amount at the right time, enhance our technique because they lend this human quality. They endear ourselves to our students and our students for ourselves. And then the the last one, which you didn't mention, you just were yourself, is you're all the nonverbal communication that you're always automatically (laughs) doing just by having the genetics that you have, the vocal tonality that you have, having lived the life that you have, and your personality and all of that je ne sais quoi, all of that comes into why students enjoy your class. Even though they could go take a class called the exact same thing next door at the exact same time, they tried that class. That could be the same sequence, right? It could be the same sequence, but there's something about your class. And when we say your class, we really just mean you, you, the teacher. Oh, that, yeah. And that, you know, working in the facility that I do, we know as managers of that club, Mm -hmm. that our group fitness is as successful as it is because of the instructors. We have over 54 free, when we're 
open as a bricks and mortar space open. We have over 54 free group classes with your membership every single week. Wow. That's a lot of classes. Yeah. And I mean, it's from spin to Zumba to TRX to, you know, all of this stuff. And it comes down to, and, and we have people who are very vocal at saying, you know, I don't like that sub that you just yeah. had, <laughs> or you got a new instructor and I don't like the class the mm -hmm. same. And so those things that you're talking about, that's very much mm -hmm. it. And the fact that I just want people to live in their bodies because I see most of them walk through the door and they don't live mm -hmm. in their bodies. They're over here. They're behind themselves. They're, they're really not tapped into that space. And for me, and, and the biggest thing that I never, mm -hmm. never, never take for granted is that they trust me to go on this journey every time they walk in that door and step on their mats mm -hmm. with me. Is they trust me, even though I say, I can't do this because my foot and ankle flexibility isn't good, but I celebrate every single one of you in here who can. And for those of you who can't, let's figure out a way to make it work so it feels okay for us yeah. to be here. You know, those are the kinds of things that make them feel that, you know, maybe in when they were a kid, they didn't get picked for dodgeball or whatever it was. And so they've always felt like they didn't belong. Mm -hmm. This is like, you know what? Y'all get to be here. We all get to be here together and explore yep. this. And you know what? My thing is, is you're either going to come back to my class or yep. you're not. And that's yeah. okay. You yeah. Know? And there's so many other forces at play too that determine whether or not somebody comes back to your class, including their life and everything that's going on for them right. and their financial situation and everything that's going on for them. Yep. Yeah. Teaching, you know, teaching group classes that are open to the public has been the bulk of my teaching from the beginning and also teacher trainings and these might maybe longer form these longer form uh op learning opportunities for students but most of my teaching time has been logged in teaching group classes and i have to say i've recently was speaking with my web designer about you know ways to sort of expand my business and she suggested you know you could offer these private these private uh offerings and things like for private sessions on your site and i was thinking about it and i was like you know i just haven't taught a lot of private sessions i've taught plenty i taught in my first like eight years of teaching yoga but in the last like five or so maybe the first seven years the last five or so I haven't as much. And I think one of the reasons is that I became busier as a teacher trainer and just didn't have time. Right. But I think another reason is that I really thrive in a group class setting in that yep. it, it puts a fire in me and it is intriguing and fun and interesting for me. And so the other thing about being the teacher that people want to come back and take your class is that you have to be the teacher of the class that you would most like to take, right? You your enthusiasm. Yeah, you have to you have to create the experience that you most enjoy having. Um and then the people that you attract will be your people in the sense that like you will have these things already in common because you were putting out the experience that you want, which you know intimately that then brings people to the specifics of who you are and the specifics of what you offer. And so, well, I mean, it's the music that, that I use. I mean, you know, you look at all of those pieces and even now doing all this stuff, teaching online is, is hard for me because I feed off the energy in the room just as much as they get when they come into that classroom. And it's hard when you're looking at postage stamp, you know, video things on a mm -hmm. screen. But the one thing was, is, you know, they were like, can we figure out a way 
free to have your yeah. music. We really miss your yeah. music too. You know, it's it's all a part of the whole thing. And it just and I get people who ask me all the time after class, can you tell me what class list that was? And I'm like, listen, I'm on Spotify. Go find me under Yoga with Sherry. You'll find every single yoga playlist I've ever created in the last I don't know how many years is up yeah. there and available for you to use. So you know, it's those sorts of things. I think what you're saying is it's not just showing you. You know, you can have a beautiful yoga practice. You can be an A plus student in your yoga teacher training. And when you get up there in front of those people, those two things are going to really do zip exactly. for how successful you are as an instructor. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I want to also say that you might have that feeling right away as an instinct and know that you need to follow that, that gut instinct. But you might also have a more confusing experience where you feel like it's difficult. And this is kind of going back to our first half of the conversation, <laughs> which is that sometimes it's not about things either feeling difficult or easy that we should use to decide whether or what we want to continue to pursue them, but rather we should use uh, our relationship to that feeling almost as though we could kind of stand outside of ourselves and go like, observe the feeling taking place and go, is this productive or is this just a clear sign from my nervous system that this is not a match, right? I want to use like the the analogy of dating, right? Like <laughs> you go on a date. I haven't dated for a very long time, but when I would go on a date with somebody, you're lucky. When I would go on a date with somebody, I would often just kind of know whether or not it was going to continue. Oh, yeah. Do you know? And so I think I've 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 yep. worked with so many new yoga teachers who just know that group class right. teaching is not for them or that teaching vinyasa flow is not for them. That something that I had to kind of figure out the hard way because I was trying so hard to fit in. And I was like, I just, I just need to be a vinyasa flow teacher because that's what everybody likes. And this was like 12 years ago when yeah. it was really what everybody liked. And the hot yoga thing, all yeah. of that. I'm just like, eventually, oh. eventually I, you know, life is a great classroom and I was a pretty good student yes, and I was paying attention <laughs> to those feelings and then looking, you know, looking beyond those feelings at my relationship to those feelings and go like, this isn't really what I want to be doing. And I think this feels difficult because I'm trying to fit a, a square peg into a round hole. Round so, hole. so I want to actually go back to, to what we were talking about in terms of like adapting to teaching online, which is that I think that many, many people are now being faced with this, with this question of like the feeling versus the relationship to the feeling, which is that, you know, let me just like, let me just put it out there that I think that it feels difficult for everybody in different yeah. ways. And it's yeah. not about the magnitude of difficulty. It's about the stories we're telling ourselves about the difficulty, which tends to skew, yeah. unfortunately, very much in the direction of I'm just not good at this, which is very, very rarely ever the case. Let me just say that. It's very rarely it's the transition. case that we're just not good at something. In some cases it is, okay? In some cases it is. Yeah. But I just wasn't good at waiting tables. I'm just going to say that, okay? I, I really literally just <laughs> wasn't good at it. I wasn't good at it. I had some parts of it I was pretty good at. Like, you know, making right. eye contact and smiling and being personable, but like remembering things was really not, I wasn't good at it. So, but I think a lot of the times when we say we're not good at it, what that really means is that we don't, we like don't want to look at the relationship we have right now to the feeling of it being difficult. And yeah. so what we're going to do instead is we're going to tell a story that we've been told or that we've been telling about ourselves for a very long time. We're just yeah. going to kind of hit repeat on an old story. And instead, and I think this is what many of us are faced with right now is that 
in order for this adaptation to occur at a certain point, we're just going to have to get used to the feeling of difficulty and go, okay, this is hard. What can I do about that? Yes. And that's the thing is I've just had to go, okay, you know, this is not the same thing. You do recorded videos where you don't even get to see the people that you're teaching. You can do right. that. Right. And, and this gives you a little bit different space in that, yes, you're, you're teaching online. You can still see a few of your people, right? But what you need to do is to be able to set yourself up well. So you make, I make sure my headset is ready to go early. I make sure, you know, I switch from using my iPad or using my computer to my iPad and to just get myself as most comfortable in my space. Mm -hmm. And then when I teach from that space, then the energy just starts Mm -hmm. to flow. And just like, you know, and I know, you know, this too, is you're going to have good days and bad Mm -hmm. days as an instructor, Mm -hmm. right? Depending on, just like everyone else, we got shit going on in our lives, (laughs) right? So, you know, I mean, and I've taught through health crises and life crises going on and and people would say, I can't believe that you taught through, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know what? It's the one thing that I would do in my day that got me out of my head and out of the space of thinking about the shit that was going on in the rest of my Mm -hmm. life, where I actually got to go and serve someone else and it felt Mm -hmm. good to Mm -hmm. do that right? And, and to not focus on just yeah. me and my garbage. Yep. I have had so many emails and so many grateful students saying, thank you so much for what mm-hmm. you're doing. It's, it's given us such needed structure in our days, yeah. you know, that it's, it's, we feel like we still belong. And, and a part of the club where I work is it's, it's like a big giant family mm-hmm. in this community mm-hmm. that is small. Mm-hmm. They're dying for mm-hmm. that. I mean, they, they literally just, they miss that connection so much. So I know that it's the the right thing, but there are days where it's just like I get done. And I'm like, you know, that wasn't my best. Yeah, <laughs> but it was the best I had in that. I think that you have to do shorter classes online, a full 75 oh, yeah. minute class. That, that because you're at home, it's too easy to think about your laundry or your pet mm-hmm. wanders in or your kid, you know, whatever it is. Keep it short, yeah. keep it targeted, and and send them on their way for the rest yep. of their day. I mean, that's literally after teaching all of these classes that I've been teaching for these last few months, it's like you, you, you can't, you cannot teach the same kind of class online that you do in person. It just doesn't work. No. And I, yeah, I totally agree with you that, that, yeah, the shorter, the shorter form class is probably going to be more practical for people. And, and practicality is, is a really big piece to the why people take a class in the first place aspect, especially now when people are saddled with so many more responsibilities all day long that they could otherwise hire other people to help them with. So this idea of things being difficult, you know, one of the things that I did for the first time as an entrepreneur is I started to hire people to help me. And I came under the good influence of Trina Altman. We're very good friends. And she, I just love her, her. I think her father was a very sweet man. And she learned from, from by osmosis as, as we, as children all tend to do, I think that, you know, you have to, you have to invest in your business in order for your business to eventually pay you. And so yeah, I come from a, a long line of, of public school teachers. So that was a foreign uh, idea to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Even though my grandpa who died when I was a baby was a car salesman, and he was a pretty wily <laughs> entrepreneur. <laughs> Who is like often wildly in the red or wildly in the black. And 
Yeah. He, yeah. He had a little bit of a rocky business, but I, I shouldn't say that I don't have any entrepreneurs in my background. But anyway, I learned, I learned by hanging around really smart friends, honestly. And like, also during this time, my friends became my teachers, whereas before I was brought up in a little bit more of a guru model type um, format mm. where like you had a teacher and, mm. you know, you spent a lot of time yeah. imitating and then integrating yeah. all of that information, which, by the way, is, is a wonderful way to learn in general. It's the it's the sort of it pedagogical is. model of, of apprenticeship. But when it comes to being all the other things that we need to be as yoga teachers, it's really helpful when you have good role models who show you yes. how to operate a, a business in a way that feels organic, feels good, feels like it is fulfilling, but that also is a, a successful way to to operate your business. And so, well, sustainable in the long run. This is something that they right? don't they don't often teach in two hundred and often even three hundred hour programs. And then the people that they have who come in to teach about those things are usually versed in a particular business model, like running, owning a studio, right. which is very different right. than being an, yes. a, a sole entrepreneur, you know, a, a, an entrepreneur, um, you know, just working for yourself as a, as a yoga teacher. So I think what's important is to recognize that just as we learn how to teach, right, through largely through osmosis, through taking classes with excellent teachers, you should also try to surround yourself and get into the circles with and good, you know, and become um, influenced by enter into the sphere of influence of people who who look like they know what they're doing and who you yep. really appreciate their messaging or appreciate their approach. So I mean, Trina Allman has, has been a really close friend of mine, but our mutual friend, Nikki Nab Levi, uh, Levy, sorry, I always say her name wrong. Levy, Nikki Nab Levy is, <laughs> um, is a business coach. I've, uh, hired her to help me. And then I've, I've started, you know, paying people to help me, uh, do things that I was trying to do myself before I had a baby, which is like update my website and, and all these things. And like, eventually what I had to do first and foremost was get over this hurdle of not wanting to spend any money on my business. Of wanting well, it scary. only to bring money in. And it is, it is scary. It is scary. Um, and I think, but I think now we're back to this idea of things being scary and then feeling like we don't have agency, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, at some right. point, we have to just try something that feels like it might be kind of fun and go, huh, can I break out of this fear cycle? And can I start making decisions that aren't based on that solely. They're always going to at some at some point fear is always going to play a role because it has to because that's at the base of our sort of survival mechanisms as people and if we right. didn't have fear right. if we didn't have fear um, you know, we'd be in big trouble too, because it's, it's key to survival, but I was going to say, we might not still be living and but breathing. Can we, but can yes. we start to, can we start to think about, can we start to think about development? Can we start to think about where we want to go and what we want to do in the future and then start to take those little steps now? And a lot of times what that's going to require is, is, is actually investing yep. a little bit of time and money. And I think that, Unfortunately, because of the guru model, and, and I say that with, I want to clarify what I mean by that, which is that when I say guru model, I mean the model of teaching in which we learn to teach yoga by following a particular teacher of yoga for the purpose of improving our teaching skills without then also thinking about all of these other hats that we need to wear as yoga teachers. I think unfortunately what happens then is that we end up in this in this um, cycle of 
constantly looking toward becoming better teachers to improve our business when what we actually need to do, and by improve our business, I mean like make a living as a teacher, is that we need to trust that we have learned enough to be good teachers now and instead look for ways to learn to be better at business <laughs> and mm. all of the different well, you're aspects talking, you're of business, talking to a, right? You're talking to a business manager. This yeah. is what I do every yeah. day, right? And I've done this for many businesses over the years. And so it's it's how do you think outside the box? And as I said before, you know, I'm a visionary. I'm this person that sees in the future and it may not be something that anybody else can see or that there is technology or whatever else to support mm-hmm. that. But I see that, right? So how do I work back? You know, I have to work backwards then. This is the, this is what I see. How do I work backwards to then, what's the first small step I can take in that direction yeah. to keep building that bridge as I'm moving yeah. forward? The small right? steps are key. The small steps are key. And then the next question you is- can't get, You can't get to the big leap without the yeah, little steps. It just doesn't You can't, doesn't but work. then the next question too is that if you feel like you're running- up against yourself, if there's something blocking you with regards to like, maybe it's your negative self-talk, maybe it's this feeling of fear that won't go away. That's when finding someone to help you talk through the process or write the copy or design the website or design the flyer or to help you actualize what it is that you're trying to communicate in the medium that they're specially especially equipped to be able to help you communicate through like that's where it kind of comes into play because at the end of the day we can't actually all be graphic designers and travel agents and (laughs) web designers and customer service specialists like we can't be all of these things so then we have to start you you can start you can start small yeah but eventually we have to either be very good students of those people or we have to ask, <laughs> you them, to do it, or we have to ask them to help us. <laughs> yes. And, and then, and then it comes down to if, if you want to expand, you have to stop the old money stories that probably came from when you were a child, then get tinged with what it took you to be, you know, in your twenties and, and the, whatever, it, what, whatever those stories were, you have to get beyond those generational and your self-generated stories around what money is so that then you can look at it and go, okay, I've gotten as far as I can go with the talent that I have and more importantly, the time that I have. So now how am I going to prioritize? What are the things that are most important for me to maintain control Mm -hmm. over? And then what are the things that I can offload? And what are the, how do I need to figure out what's most important in terms of this is going to only cost me this much. This is going to cost me a whole lot more. How do I, what do I prioritize? You know, what's the next step to do? And that's where having, like you said, having mentors, Mm -hmm. having other women that are in the same industry that you're doing Mm -hmm. is so powerful. That's the thing I love about Trina is she is an incredible instructor Mm -hmm. and, and being in the art world. I mean, I am a jewelry designer. I did it for many years and the, there were wonderful jewelry designers, but a lot of them had this fear that you were going to copy them. And so they didn't want to share their Mm -hmm. knowledge. It doesn't matter if you're doing the same exact steps that they did. It's never going to look the same because you're somebody totally different than they are. The je ne sais quoi of you. (laughs) So so what that comes down to is, is that you can get all of these things, but it's never going to look the same. So you have to hold, what are the things 
I would say, what are the things that you're doing? Like maybe the top five things that you do that bring you joy mm -hmm. or yes. make you like jazzed up. I get so excited and I get lost. And four hours later, I look up and go, holy shit, what happened to the yeah. time? To the other things that are a little bit of a push or they're harder or you just don't like the do yes. that, right? So, you know, and then you come to that push pull where it's like, I'm, I can stay where I'm at and keep busting my ass and being exhausted or I can start small and say, these three things are going to cost me X amount of dollars. That's affordable for me. And that's a place yep. to start. And then you can expand out from I, there. I usually, but somebody I, find, like, I find people to do the things that I, that I really just hate to do. And there's a lot of people <laughs> like that, right? Yeah. You know, and, and I'm a left brain, right brain yeah. person, right? I can do, I can do money. I can do creative. I can do all of those things and do both sides. And I went to a job interview one time and, it, and this guy looked at me and it was for, I don't remember some tech job and he looked at me he says he goes do you realize how unusual you are and I'm like well thank you <laughs> and he goes he goes maybe you're not understanding what I'm trying to tell you and I'm like well I mean I said I realize I'm unusual but what context are you talking about and he goes he said you can switch so quickly between left and right uh, brain he said there's not a lot of people that can do what you right. do and slide so easily between both of those yeah. places. He said that that is that's really incredible. I says, Well, I have limits. He goes, Yeah, but he said, he goes, It's incredible to watch you or listen to you be able to shift gears like that. And he says, And I don't know if you appreciate that as much as you should. I didn't get the job, but I walked away with something even better was his commentary gave me words that I didn't have that actually allowed me to change the story that was in my uh -huh. head about. There you go. You know, I was, you know, what you were saying also just made me think that I think we all think we're unusual. I think I'm pretty unusual. <laughs> Doesn't everybody kind of think they're weird and unusual? And a lot of times, well, I like, don't know. A lot of times, like, I think that, I mean, this is just me and my like anecdotal commiserations with friends about how we all have these weird things that we think are weird and that like you know we're all we all are kind of weird we're all different we're all unusual in some way yes but it's what makes us unusual a lot of the times that you know we could we could actually start to tap into a lot more and figure out as you were yes. saying like what are the five things that light you up that that maybe also yes. you you think may may make you a little bit different too, right? Yes. That's the niche. Yeah. I think that ultimately we should stop thinking about uh, being unusual as a bad thing because it might be. The oh superpower. well, I don't think that way. It at might all. be the superpower. It, it took it took me. Yeah, it took me for a long time to get out of that space because I yeah. never felt like I fit in. I always felt like I was other, right? Yeah. Even kind of in my own family, I was just always kind of out. It's just like I always had this quirk. I thought I don't like to be inside the lines. I don't want anyone to put me in a box. I tried to do to live in those spaces and I was mm -hmm. miserable. So to me, to be unusual was just a part of who I was, yeah. right? I mean, that's just who I am. And I think that's a part of my secret sauce yeah. is that that's a part of what makes me uniquely me. And it, like you said, same thing with a yoga class. It's what draws people to me. It's that energetic yeah. connection, right? I mean, this, this is really hard for me, this whole thing of being in quarantine and being a single person <laughs> oh, living alone, yeah. because I am somebody who thrives on, I mean, this is, this is like my jam to talk with people like you, that we have these conversations. I don't get to have these kind of conversations with anybody else that I know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Totally. And to be able to, you know, verbalize things that 
are there, but I've, I've never really had the opportunity to verbalize them. So it, those are the kinds of things that for me, this, this quarantine has been like, oh my God. And the beginning of this whole thing, I wasn't sure I was going to do a season two for the podcast because I'd been dealing with some health issues. And then Apple told me they turned off my channel and blah, 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 blah. And then I realized all of the people that I would want to talk to are home. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and all of a sudden, every email that I sent out to people were like, sure, when do you want to sit down yeah. and talk? And so it organically happened. But this is one of the things that the connection is so critical. And I think the connection of other women, you just like you said, finding someone who's doing something similar to what you're doing or doing something that's expanded from where you are to find them to actually develop these friendships, to be able to have conversations, to be able to share the knowledge with each other. And then that gives you to be able to leapfrog forward. And then when you leapfrog forward, you pull somebody else with you behind yeah. you, right? You're you're bringing that space forward. And it's one of the things around women that I find so incredible, but so undervalued mm. in certain aspects of our society. Yeah. And I think it's the piece that makes us powerful. And that's what's so fucking scary to other people who don't, who don't understand. The collaborative, that. the collaborative piece. Yep. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to, mention, then, I wanted to mention before I forget that we, I just, before I forget, cause this kind of fits in with this idea of collaboration that my friend Markella Lowe's has started what's called The Connective, which is an online platform of many teachers who actually lost their, just recently lost their jobs because Yoga Works in New York City closed down. But the Yoga Works teachers had that. unionized just prior to to Yoga Works closing. And she has um, brought together several of those teachers and then teachers from other uh, studios to form The Connective, which is a collaborative effort um, it's really a cooperative in which uh, those teachers will be teaching online their classes to their students online. And the money generated for those classes will, uh, the majority of it will go to the individual teacher who taught the class, which is actually very different than how teachers are usually paid in the studio model. And yep. then uh, a yep. smaller percentage of that income will go to support and expand the business. So everybody's actually um, part owner of the business in that sense. And so when we're talking, oh my so God. when we're talking about when we're talking about this idea that like we need to be these sole entrepreneurs who are making these decisions for our business and we need to um, invest in our business in order to advance as individuals, that's not actually also totally true because as it turns out, there's this thing called the connective where if you don't want to do that, you can become a part of a bigger group of people who are all helping each other do that together, which is so exciting. This, this is what I'm, this is what's in my yeah. head. This is what I'm already writing down is how do I build this out to bring these instructors that I know together because I have the business space. I have the tech space to create this space where we are all owners of the company. Mm -hmm. You teach your students, you get, you know, X amount of dollars, Part of it goes into the business so that we can grow and create this space. But that's exactly, I was calling it a consortium of teachers and, and being able to build that out 
so that everybody has their own students. Not only do I want to do like yoga based people, but I want to bring personal trainers in there because the personal trainers have people that they're working with that need to be doing other movements besides just what they're doing with their personal. Yeah. And the same is true for the yoga people. (laughs) Yeah. The Pilates people and everybody who is adhered to a modality would likely benefit. Silos, By doing right? Something you know, we got to get out yes, of silos, exactly. exactly, and make it a bigger exactly. picture. Well, I this is. I'm not going to be able to sleep. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> I have so much stuff stuffed oh, in my brain God. now that I'm just like, oh. I know it's always, it's but, always oh. so uh, fun to have these, these conversations with the intent to publish. Right. And anytime you're doing anything with the intent to publish, I think that it elevates the energy. And I, and I say that only because we've been talking a lot about maybe we're been talking a lot about the, the difficulty of starting to develop an online presence, which is a very, big topic of conversation right now. It it's is. a conversation that meets the moment, shall we say, that um, yeah. there's there's something really exciting that can come out of, of writing something or talking or having a conversation or asking a question with the intent to publish. And so I too often have trouble sleeping after podcast interviews because... <laughs> Because there's a hormonal component to um, oh, to publishing, man. and and the stakes the stakes are higher. But what comes out of those higher stakes a lot of the time are really exciting conversations and ideas that that you and I both kind of created together over the course of this you know last hour and fifteen minutes. So it's been like a t- Total pleasure to have this experience <laughs> well, with you, it, Sherry. Thank you. Well, and I, the same thing. I mean, this is, I mean, this is what continues to drive me to do the podcast. I mean, granted, a lot of this, a lot of the people that I follow on Instagram are movement mm-hmm. people, not everyone. And it's just so interesting to me to hear, you know, your story about where, where you, how you started as an actor and, and you came to this place and how you're ever invo- evolving. And to me, you know, that just seems like the natural progression. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people that's like, I need to stay inside the lines and this is where I might, I habitually move because this is what I know is safe. It's like, wow, what else is out there. And so I just, it's stuff like this that, you know, and I'm also thinking about is how do I put together like a once a month group where we just, I send out an invite. If you're available to be there, we have a zoom thing. We all sit and we talk about what's going on, who's got an issue, who's got a question, who's got something new. And that we just kind of stoke that fire Mm -hmm of that we mentor each other as we're there. And I just, I, that to me would be the, the, the next best thing I could think of doing next to this podcast. Well, I, that's where I'm at right now. (laughs) I are, that's already in my notes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to thank you so much for your time and your energy and all of your incredible thought process, because it, it just, there was so many key things in there that I think that people need to know and mostly about the joy around movement. It's like, do something that makes you feel good or makes you happy because why life is too short. Why continue to do shit that makes you sad? And also the big, the big piece or the big piece of that is be with people while doing the thing that, that makes you happy. Be Be with with people who reinforce positive messaging and who help you to feel welcome and connected and like you can enjoy yourself with them. 
I think that's key. Well, and like you said, to also have agency, yeah. right? You you get to have ownership over some of that, as well as being a part of the collective or the group or whatever it yeah. is, but you still have a little bit of ownership of it yeah. yourself. And I think especially for women that that, is, that can be so transformative for some of them who've never really had that experience yeah. before, so... Well, again, thank you so much for your time and everything. I so appreciate you, it. And I look forward to further conversations because yes. I just feel like I just found a great new buddy. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. All right. Thank thanks you again. so much. See you around.